Hey, helpers, and welcome back. It's Being the Work. I'm Blakely Adams. And I'm Ben Wire. Each week, we are unearthing and going over some stories about our lives as human helpers. Hi, Ben. Hi, Blakely. Heads up, I, of course, used a book as an inspiration for my question, as per usual. Oh, yeah? What's that book? I know you love to read. I get all my best (laughs) ideas from books. I've been into Stephen King lately. Um, I I came to Stephen King a little bit late in the reader game. I was skeptical. On some some avenues, I'm still skeptical, but this dude can write some characters, Mm -hmm. and that is what I am a sucker for. Sure. You're you're a sucker for a good story. A good story and, oh my gosh, a good character building. A character that's compelling. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. We can get into my archetype addictions some other day. It's it's awesome too. I see a crossover here of, you know, this the point of this whole podcast is to talk about the taboo, absurd, agonizing moments of what we do and who we are as humans and trying to parse out like, you know, is there such a thing as work and life balance? Because mm, I am skeptical. who I am everywhere. And so even like the taboo, absurd and agonizing things of the characters that you're drawn to. I mean, exactly. and I don't know of any other person who's more absurd than Stephen King. He's got some weird stories. Oh, do you think I don't want to dig into that guy's brain? He is a mad genius. I don't read his stuff, but I do watch some of the shows that are made off of his stuff. And whoa. <laughs> well, I highly recommend it. Because the one I just finished is 11 2263 Got it. 30 audio hours, pretty sure a thousand plus pages of going back in time and trying to save JFK. Wow. Yeah, how does this influence this question? As the story starts out, um, King defines watershed moments and starts talking about tipping points. Mm -hmm. So as a society, we turned in that moment that JFK was shot. And the thought train that left the station for me led me to a place of wandering, Ben, what watershed moment or moments led you to the work? Got it. That is a great question. Yes. How did we end up here? How did we end up here? I love that question. I really love that question because I'm a context junkie. Ah, I thought you might. I <laughs> thought you might like this one. Yeah, I am you a- like to go back and re review. I well. It makes so much sense to me. Like I know. before I And I'm can... not. That's why I that's why I snatched onto it too, because I am so forward. Just eyes forward, honey. Yeah. There's nothing behind us we need to think about or look at. It's fine. Yeah. It's back there for good. Which is which is like sacrilegious to me. Like <laughs> how am I like how am I supposed to know to help how am I supposed to know how to help you? If I don't respect how you got here. I know. This is right? what you have helped me be more. <laughs> but but no, no, no. I think that you're already <laughs> good at doing that naturally. But I like to make it more, much more explicit. Yeah. So, like, I mean, it's sort of like, 
Like, let's tap into the knowledge we already have. Sure. Right? We don't have to reinvent the wheel. And let's so, see what we've already got. Like, why are you asking me to be this expert genie for you? Like, let's just do some excavating here and figure out how did we get here? Uh, who are you? Where do you come from? What resources do you have, etc.? So I love this question of how did we get here? Because, I mean, I think it's also very misunderstood uh, in the helping profession. I think we all sort of know that we all have very personal reasons for being here, but we don't really talk about it a whole lot. While also the perception of, you know, the public perception of who we are is completely uh, misunderstood of like, yeah. why do we want to be even therapists and what are, you know, it's like we're either perfect people or we're full of hubris and um, we just are know-it-alls like Dr. Phil, maybe. Mm. Another spoiler alert. He may come up. He may come up in my origin story. So 112263 may at least recognize the date because that is his his retelling of the Kennedy assassination mm. with a time travel element. So the question of the book is really if you could step through kind of a, a window in time, go back and fix this turning point of the past, what changes? And is that is that worth it? And so I won't give you all the spoilers and everything about it, but in the context of starting the story, um, he spells out and defines what a watershed moment is. And the the point that he starts the story on is just that phenomena of moments that in a microsecond, your life shifts or turns or tilts in a way that you couldn't have necessarily predicted. And I think that there are obviously experiences that we have that lead us into the work that we do. Mm. And so it's had on my mind what some of those turning tipping point watershed moments were for me that got me here. Sure. And I'm really curious what mm -hmm. you would define as that tipping point for you. Gosh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So grammarist Grammarist defines the idiom of watershed moment as a turning point, the exact moment that changes the direction of an activity or a situation. It is considered momentous, though a watershed moment is often recognized in hindsight. The word watershed is used literally to mean an area of land that divides the flow of separate rivers or the high ridge from which water flows into a body of water. So what was in between you and your own alternate universe? Yeah. Yeah. Like a big fork in the road. Absolutely. Yeah. Something that separated this path from that path. Yep. So yeah. what was your watershed moment okay. that led you to Golly. be Counselor Ben? Um, shoot. <laughs> <laughs> that is, I mean, I thought I had a path sort of outlined. 
what I knew you were going to ask this question. And now hearing you say, because I didn't have all the context of why you wanted to ask this question. And now all of that preparation is gone to hell. So, oh no. <laughs> um, but I like it because it's got me on my toes and I'm like, okay, how, what is the watershed? Cause I never heard that definition before. Uh, and it really feels like the, the fork in the road, you realize it past tense or you realize it after it's actually happened, yeah. but you really just start going with the flow while it's happening. Sure. Of course. Um, we, I mean, t- time keeps going, right? Yeah. We don't stop to make right. decisions. Right. We just keep making different choices and different calls and having shit fall in our path that we have to deal with. And so what did you have to step around or step over to get here? Right. Um, I, su- I suppose I would start with just who I am and like the, the traits of mind that, that, so let's start there. First off, I would, I would say that in my family, I was a very quiet very quiet person, uh, growing up, um, that I would, I observed a lot of what happened in my house and I didn't know, I mean, I, I don't want to talk about it. Like I knew what was going on in my house, but you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, just like we just talked about with this watershed definition, hmm. but I was a very quiet person, very, you know, in my mind all the time and not super intellectually in my mind, but just uh, kind of thinking about things that happen all the time. Um, It wasn't until later that I really had words to put to it that I could sense the emotions of the room or of other people, um, that I was just pretty naturally gifted at seeing other people's perspectives and not necessarily, you know, judging them, judging those perspectives. That makes sense. Um, and, you know, in my family, I had, I have an older brother and he's very gregarious and outgoing. And I always told people he could sell the dust off the floor. <laughs> um, he was a very good sales salesman. Um, and I mean, he sold a lot of people on himself. Like he had tons of friends. Uh, and I just kind of tagged along. I was like, mm-hmm. I'm going to ride the, <laughs> I'm going to ride the wave of, of him. Um, and so I learned a lot from him of what to do and what not to do. And I think along, along with that, like I learned that putting your own opinion out is very, risky. So it was just kind of a safe way to be a younger brother. You're just already talking about orienting yourself around a natural sense of observation Mm -hmm. and what you already learned early on about the risks of actually voicing things. Observation was more powerful. Yeah. Observation. I, I would say observation came naturally because voicing things in my family wasn't super accepted, I suppose. It w- like we were a very quiet family, um, very quiet family and, and kind of 
I guess the thing that's going coming in my mind right now is like the love languages, uh, you know, in my family were much more like gifts and physical touch, uh, like uh, giving gifts, physical touch, words of affirmation really weren't really like the big thing. So uh, sharing stories wasn't a really big way of, of connecting and, you know, that kind of stuff. Like learning was a good, was a, a big way of like connecting with people verbally, but it wasn't really like, uh, you know, son, tell me about the time. Uh, let me tell you about the time when X, Y, Z happened. Hmm. And I think my brother sort of rebelled against that. Like he was the, he was sort of the sounding board for my whole family. Like he would say stuff all the time and, and get himself out there and rock the boat. And he was really on board with all of that. And kind of paved the way for that. But getting back to kind of like the turning point there, I think it was in middle school and going into high school that I realized I was good at this. Like observing and sensing other people's like perspectives and things like that. And then I realized that I, a lot of my relationships were sort of oriented around helping other people like helping them or, or not really helping, but like supporting, like whatever you need me to do, whatever you need me to like, whatever problem you're going through, like I'm here for you kind of mm -hmm. thing. And so I never, I never set out to be a counselor that came to me later on in the journey, but I kind of experienced like church and my faith as a way of connecting with something greater than myself. And I always knew that there was something that I was meant to do to help other people, to kind of sacrifice of myself and give. Mm -hmm. um, and that was not just a lesson that I learned at church, but it was something that sort of wasn't, ex it gave me an outlet to express was a, what was already inside. Sure, it gave you context for what was, I mean, it just sounds, it sounds lonely too. There's so much quietness and so much observing yeah. and so much, just the way that you describe it makes me feel like in the background. Mm, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's where sort of the outlet of like my uh, faith that helped me find a sense of belonging in my spirituality and finding just, yeah, a, a way to express myself there and to feel not so alone. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right on. Because I do think in our, you know, our origins conversation about why we're here in the first place, I think there are these experiences we're talking about today that, that shift us but why you in the first place, I think that's part of what you're also talking about, like those connections to what your spirit is, what your natural skills are, and those early lessons. Those are the early tipping points. Right. Yeah. Those are, are very early. And so at the time, I thought, okay, you know, this is my the natural place that my faith was the natural place where I was expressing my true, truest self. Um, 
And that led me to, okay, well, it's probably ministry is where I will probably use these skills long-term. And because it was, you know, I had really good relationships with like my youth pastor and um, with the pastor at church. And um, that was just a place where I, I put a lot of uh, investment. And so, yeah, that was, that was a first like watershed. Like I went down that path and went to even college for it. And, you know, I saw a bachelor's in ministry. I ended up getting a bachelor's in ministry. And through the process, though, every single year I was in that program at college through four years, uh, I it, it got like, it felt like I was getting like to the end of this road. Um, the road got smaller and smaller and smaller until it just ended. And I was, I realized each time it got smaller, it was me realizing this isn't really what I want to do. This doesn't fit with who I am and what I feel really called to do. Um, like the feeling when your pants are getting too tight. <laughs> um, uh, I suppose you could say it felt constricting and I wanted more freedom. Maybe that's me overlaying my experience on yours. But, yeah. ooh, ooh. I mean, ooh, that wasn't digging in, man. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't the first uh, simile that I would go to, but yeah, I could fit that there. Um, <laughs> like, it did feel constricting, and it did it. I it didn't feel, and I think this is what sort of has what has guided me throughout my life is this sense of, does this resonate with me? And it's not something that I can um, put a, uh, it's not something that I can put an equation on or really explain, but it just is an internal sense of, does this fit? Mm -hmm. And I didn't, get that big resonant feeling. I didn't get that. Uh, when I was, you know, doing my internship and practicum in my bachelor's degree for ministry, I didn't get that when I was practicing preaching or leading youth groups or, you know, but it was the one-on-ones with the people that I was, you know, supposed to be pastoring. <laughs> It was the one-on-ones and it was more toward, you know, what pain are they in and how can I be present with them? Not, um, not, you know, how good was that sermon kind of thing. That was always sort of the kind of necessary thing I had to do to get to the thing that resonated the most. So it's because it didn't resonate with me. I, it got, you know, that, that road got smaller and smaller and I just was like, okay, I got to, trust the fact that I know, I, I know that this isn't right. So I'm going to get my degree so I didn't waste all this time, but I'm going to keep moving. And so I ended up graduating, going to, uh, sorry, going to, I, I had been working at Starbucks for a long time. And my boss, my boss, I was really close to her. Her name's Dion. She was amazing. She was like, uh, you know, we would call her Mama Dion. Like she was just awesome. And she just sort of t 
told me one day when she, uh, yeah, actually, this is fun. Um, she told me, you know, that she hired me because in my interview, I said something around, I want this place to feel welcoming to other people. She's like, I don't, I didn't care if you liked coffee. I didn't care if you, um, knew anything about Starbucks, but I wanted you, I wanted people on my team to make this place feel like home to them. And I, when she said that to me, I realized I have about 20, 20 seconds to about a minute of FaceTime with people in, in the, um, drive through and I realized the few people that I knew about their parents dying or their divorces or, you know, things like that. And I looked back and I go, oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> like, there's something there. But we had this other uh, customer that would come in all the time. And she worked at a big nonprofit. But basically, she offered me a job at at this place and she came in she knew who i was i was nice to her all the time we became sort of friendly and i told her i was looking for a you know a, a big boy job <laughs> um okay. did you know how big i didn't no i had no idea <laughs> but i i knew that i needed to find well first off i had graduated we had bills and i say we because i had married my college girlfriend um two years before. Um, so I was a young husband and trying to just figure out my way. And I suppose. And how old were you? uh, When you finished your undergrad, how old were you? 22. Okay. Yeah. I get, uh, we got married when I was 20 and this is, that's the thing though, right? Like that goes back to the same thing of like, I know I was young. Everybody knew I was young and I didn't care. But that's just it. Knowing you, that's a great example of that, that fit certainty thing you're Thank talking you. about, right? That's exactly where I was going. So you, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt that process, no. but it's like the perfect example of the yeah. way that you decide on things and commit to them and stick with the certainty that you have. It comes yeah. from the centered place. That's incredible. Thank you. I feel like that's, <laughs> I feel like that's a little over-exaggerated, but I will accept that. I will accept that. It's my observation anyway. Uh, Because it's absolutely, that's exactly where I was going to go with that of, you know, ministry did not resonate with me like that. Well, because it's fair to to make the point that you're still married too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're, this year is 15 years. We're, we're coming up on 15 years. Good job, man. So that was a big watershed moment of no, like Dion was a, a big guide for me who kind of showed me what my natural skills were and the skills that I was trying to have, but that just didn't like I was wasting my time on because they were uh, things I expected of myself that I shouldn't expect for myself. And she guided me to authenticity. And so I got a job in, I got a job in still not knowing, okay, I'm going to go to counseling I got a job in a nonprofit and then I started working with clients again. Of course, I kept uh, seeking out one-on-one meaningful and rich relationships with my clients that would lead to helping them feel supported to live their authentic life. 
Then there was another uh, a guy there at TLC, Andrew Secor, and he seems to be present in most of the things that I've done throughout my career in counseling, which this is the first one. I went to consult with him because I knew him from my undergrad. He graduated the year that I was a freshman and my wife knew him. So I don't know really exactly how we became friends, but we were friends and I knew he went into counseling. I went to him. He worked at TLC. I went to him and I talked to him and he told me about his experience. And I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to go for it. I applied for the program and never really looked back. I was like, let's do this because everything is showing me like every experience, you know, from being at school in my bachelor's to being at Starbucks to being at TLC, everything was sort of pointing in that direction. And I had given up on being a pastor, not given up on my drive, uh, but definitely given up on that expression of what I was supposed to do. So, yeah, and that's what I don't know. That whole too tight pants. That's what it makes me think of. Like, got to get out of these fucking pants. <laughs> it's not about. It's not about why you put them on in the first place. You didn't necessarily change, but the 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 direction or the the way you were going to outfit yourself right. to apply who you are. Mm-hmm. God, that's what had to change. Right. You're right. I, I'm I'm feeling that simile now, that metaphor. Like, <laughs> I got to put my pants on. Well, because there's just something about the symbolism of putting on your pants to go to work. And maybe it's just because I haven't put on real pants in a very fucking long time <laughs> at this point. I love you say real pants. <laughs> you know. Like, work pants do they, do these have are real pants. Drawstring. If there's a drawstring. Sure. Like, <laughs> they don't actually have to fit, right? <laughs> they don't actually. I'm not wearing fit. these because they fit me well. I'm wearing yeah. them for comfort. Yeah, but I, I love the outfit yourself for just to to express the thing that's most authentic to yourself. Like, yeah, I and well, because if you put on a cop uniform, would you feel like you? No. I'd feel like it if was Halloween. If you put Halloween. on clergy robes, would you feel like you? Yeah. No. Mm-mm. If, if I, I put, put on, on a cardigan. cardigan. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! <laughs> put on your cardigan, make a little cup of tea. I really feel in myself. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. God. That's really funny. <laughs> yes, if I put my cardigan on and, and my cabbie hat... Th- then I, I am. That's one of your signatures. I am. I'm there. When I when I got into, I mean, it's notable. I don't want to go into the story too deeply, but it's notable that um, my resolve got really tested during this time after I applied for um, my master's program for counseling that I got rejected or, or denied um, from the application process and the interview process, I got denied. That shook me really deeply. It's an interesting discernment you make between the denial and rejection. Well, the, it's been, it's been a long process of reframing it to denial rather than, uh, rejection. 
but it did feel like a big punch in the gut. Well, I mean, just even the hubris that I had going into my application, like I had been in social work for a couple years. I had knew how to handle a caseload. I knew the realities of the job. I had been into a lot of scary houses that were very gross and very dirty and lots of bugs and figured out how to have helpful conversations and relationships with people. Like I had tested my empathy for a couple of years um, and still found that it was something that I was passionate about. And so I thought I was a shoe in and I don't know how that really played out in my interview in the interview process of how much actual hubris came across. But looking back, I could go, okay, yeah, that dude thinks he is a shoe in and he belongs here. And we're not just going to give it to him just because he says he deserves, deserves it. Not that I said that I deserved it, but that's maybe how I acted. You know, I, I ended up getting offered a last moment, a last minute, you know, spot and I took it and it was the second semester in that I had that finally resonant moment of whole body just reinforcement of this is where I belong. And it was in my helping skills class. And I was like, this is it. Like I found my place and it was amazing. Like I, I, it was, it was phenomenal. Found your genie. That's interesting because I just was listening to a podcast yesterday of like the word and they were talking about the word genius and how it used to it used to uh, refer to like when someone finds their genius, it's like in in the in their presence and helps them along like a genie would. Um, yeah, like your genius is almost like a mm-hmm. sort of a, a mythical guardian angel of right. superpowers. Right. Yeah, and which is interesting because at that moment. You know, so I, I would I would call that the Holy Spirit, that there's something connecting all of us and that like I can't when I try to recreate something like that, I cannot do it. But when I'm open to the universe and I let it flow through me, that those moments come. And that is what keeps me. I mean, in this work and I, you know, we've already sort of talked about that, but when I open myself up to, I am not the thing that's going to heal any of this stuff going on in the counseling room. But when I open myself up to all I need to do is be present and like, that is the spiritual kind of thing that keeps me in the work, even though while I'm in the room, I'm still trying to remember all of my training. Like, sure. Right. And that's the big balancing act. But every time I come back to let me be fully human, that's exactly where I go is 
like that moment of the something sh- like this lightning bolt going straight through me of realizing that this is where I belong. Um, yeah, it was amazing. It was absolutely incredible. Well, it had to be because, I mean, to package all of that up, you started from a place of, I did not hear a sense of feeling belonging Mm-mm. in what started your journey. Oof. And so to find that the, a lot of those connecting points or turning points are relationships that you built is not surprising because it sounds like you started with this religion. You know how I feel about organized religion. I'm not a fan, but you started with this religion as a, as a, an outfit for what you felt naturally, that empath, like you are a conduit for that interconnectedness. Mm. It's just how you are. And I personally am glad that you set down what I think of as a more restricting option because I think that religion can tighten us a lot. That's one of the problems I have with it. And for you to just, like, to crack that open from this set of of a religion box to humanity in general is mind-blowing, really. Mm. Because if you had stayed on the path you were on, the the reach of your influence and the reach of your support and help and influence would be would also be incredible. But I don't think it would be the satisfaction that you feel from what you do now. Which isn't for me to say, but that's just the No, it would be it would be inauthentic. I mean, it would be And I don't think it would reach far enough. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you, and I think it's really funny. Not funny. Uh, more surprising, I think, mm-hmm. um, that you are seeing all of that. Like, well, let me start first with when you, it was like your your reflection on, on what I'm talking about and my whole my whole story there is absolutely right on like it came it started from a place of desiring connection and belonging to then that being my kind of career path of how can i provide this and and then realizing obviously like it's scientifically kind of valid to you know have very strong deep connections with people and find love and belonging like and it was something that I knew all along, but didn't have the words for and didn't ever feel like, okay, I'm going to go sci- try to scientifically prove that this is, is, is a real thing. Well, because I, be, I wouldn't be surprised if we're not the only people who found our way here who kind of stumbled into this along the path of finding our own belonging. Sure. Because I can say that our paths to get here are entirely different. Right. But that origin place of this doesn't seem quite right and I can't find the place where I right. plug in in a way that feels good, mm-hmm. which I think that, of course, childhood is awkward. It just is. We're growing up. That's the point. But feeling that sense of differentness and lacking that sense of belonging, it just drives us in a different way. Yeah. yeah. And I would not be surprised if we hear the stories from our peers that are similar that led us here. Right. 
I felt this X feeling mm-hmm. of not belonging or of not having, you know, the support that I needed or of not having the the connections or mm-hmm. the the intimacy with other humans that I needed. Right. And along my journey of seeking that, I found this. Right. Absolutely. Which just reminds me to invite people to this process, right? right? Let's let's formally do that. Sure. Where can people find us, Ben? So if you all are hearing something that sounds similar or if it even sounds different and you want to share your story of how you became a helper, we would love to hear it and we would love to spread your story to create a better community of helpers. I'm also really curious for some feedback of on these topics and topics that we as Helpers Together should be covering. What are what are we as a collective not talking about more that we should or want to or, I don't know. Yeah, let in the light and let me know what you're curious about. So if you could find us on Instagram, at beingthework. Or you can email us. What's that email, Blakely? That would be beingthework at gmail.com. And for anyone that's like you know, nervous to share, Blakely, what can we do to help them not feel so nervous? Well, we're taking a risk of turning microphones on and putting the experiences of social workers, counselors, therapists, just on blast. And we're happy to do that, but we understand if you can't. Yeah, so we'll keep your stories private, as private as you want them to be. Uh, Let us know that you're out there because we'd love to celebrate you. Oh, also, we're about to get into my story where... I swear a lot, (laughs) which you should be prepared for always. (laughs) So Blakely, I I really loved your definition of watershed. I love that you brought that to us. So what are your watershed moments what brought you here? You talked about our stories being way different, but us ending up in the same place. So where are we? How'd you get here? I came to the sense of there being really one, one point that led me here, but there are just so many that kind of pinball us through life, right? I mean, I grew up with my dad as a retired fireman. My mom um, stayed home with me and so I just, I came from kind of a public service mm. family. Um, you know, my house was, was the one that I had a lot of friends who just had, you know, shitty home lives or, you know, whatever those situations are, especially in small town, Oklahoma, there's not a lot of support there. And so my house became kind of a landing spot for mm-hmm. some of my friends. My mom was always just making sure everybody was fed and clean and, and okay. And so just those just those help each other out vibes and values were planted in me. It was just already there. And me and my mom watched a lot of Dr. Phil. So I had some of that in the back of my mind. (laughs) I was also a bossy kid. So I had an idea of, well, I can just become a therapist and tell everybody what to do with their lives. Oh, that doesn't surprise me at all. (laughs) No, 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 not at all. Right. It totally, totally, totally fits. Oh my God. Um, so that was what I thought I was going to do. And you can imagine my shock when I find out, what do you mean therapists don't give advice? Mm -hmm. Isn't that the whole point? 
Well, when you have Dr. Phil as a as a role model with that, of course, yeah. I also checked out from the library um, One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest and Girl Interrupted, probably a little bit younger than I should have. But it led me on a path. I was probably going to be on more of a medical track, is what I thought. And then I took higher level math and science classes, and that didn't work out for me very well. Medical track in that, like, to be a doctor? Yeah, like, I thought I probably wanted to be a doctor, but I didn't, that was just, I didn't have a lot of options. I also grew up in a place where you could be a teacher, a fireman, a doctor, not even a doctor. It's not exactly a high socioeconomic area that I grew up in either. So options seemed really small. And the idea of going to college in the first place is a big deal. Sure. It's, it's, not, a, it's not an automatic. It's not something that the majority of people end up doing. And so, yeah, I had this big, I'm, the, I'm a big fish in a small pond. I'm pretty smart. I can be a doctor. And then I took chemistry. No, I can't. So, and it just never, it just never fit. It was this idea that I put on things that was a simple answer when I actually had no fucking clue. What am I going to do when I get out of this place? I know I'm going to get out of this place, but I don't know what that's going to entail. So in my undergrad, I, I studied psych and I loved it. And I was a research assistant, and I was really, really pushed by my advisor there to pursue grad school right away, to seek out my PhD right away, to orient myself around Mm -hmm. research. But I was already pretty aware of how sheltered I'd been. Um, I've always been a reader, and so I was already, I mean, oh, God, so fascinated with diverse stories and characters and and places but i i'm not a writer i don't know it was storying that was actually pulling me and i didn't have the words mm. for that yet and so i finished my undergrad i had a really great core group of friends um in college and we were most of us graduated at the same time and we broke off into three three groups out of our big group, right? There were a few people who were still staying who had a year left or a semester left or were staying in Oklahoma mm-hmm. for some reason. My best friend, uh, she and her roommate were moving to New York. And me and my girlfriend at the time were moving to Oregon. I was going to move to Portland. My girlfriend was planning to go to culinary school, Um I was going to work for a couple of years and kind of collect the experience I felt like I needed to have just Mm. with life and being an adult. Um, And then I thought I'd probably go to grad school. But we got to Portland. I packed up. It was a big, dramatic, leaving Oklahoma thing. Drove my Dodge Neon from Oklahoma straight through like 24 hours. I had a job. I had gotten a job that looking back was probably shady that I was raising money for a a very (laughs) well-known nonprofit door-to-door. It was, the job was presented to me as something that I was going to be kind of managing like office managing the situation 
And I got there and I had a very high fundraising quota wow. per day. Yeah. And so long story, the short version, let me just spoiler alert this. I didn't stay in Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know that I can even say that I lived there. I spent a summer there. My girlfriend dropped out of culinary school within two weeks. Um, we did not make it much longer than that. Um, I remember... <laughs> I remember this day that I think she was... Was she still in school? She wasn't around. I was alone. We moved around some... There are two moments that stick out to me that this failure was setting in. Mm. And go back to the point where I haven't failed mm-hmm. it much. I've been the smart kid. I've been a student. I've been top of my class. I've been the yearbook editor. I've been the president of the clubs. I've been, I like to be in charge and I like to do well. And as soon as I rolled into town, Portland was going to teach me a mm. fucking lesson. And I know that now. It's that hindsight thing. And so there's one day that I just, I was in, I was in this hotel that we were staying in, some fucking shitty motel, laying in bed, watching a Friends marathon. <laughs> and the finale episode oh, no. came on. And I was, I had this awareness all of a sudden of being so far away from everything and everyone that I know and love. I just mm. fell apart. I had never been so lonely my whole life. And I didn't know what I was going to do. Because the other moment I remember was probably from the same week that I was supposed to be walking door to door, asking for money. <laughs> Will you give me money? It's a good cause. I promise. And I... That's not something I'm good at, as it turns out. Oh, you won't even call people you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nope. <Mm-mm. laughs> no. I love it. I love oh it. Oh, my gosh. You should see how I act when someone knocks on my door. You think I'm being stalked by the CIA the way I act. <laughs> Turn the lights off. Everybody be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good. That's so good, yes. Shh, they'll go away. And I can tell you when I did this job, you know what I was amazed by? How many people answer the door? And Portland is a very friendly city. For the record, me and Portland, we were not going to get along. I wasn't supposed to live there forever. I fucking love that place. It's awesome. Or, I mean, this was, what do I know? This was in 2007. Yeah, 14 years ago, people were answering the door more often, I think. But I never lived in Oregon, so... Oh, probably. Yeah. Not today. So friendly. I got the nicest go the fuck away that I've ever had in my life. Like, no, I'm not going to give you money, but do you want some lemonade? Like, sure. It's great. Anyway, so that job ended with, I remember, it's so sad. I sat on this curb behind a dumpster, behind a bank. So the way that it worked canvassing, there were like four of us in a pod. And then a supervisor. And we were set off. We were given our territory. We're set off in a neighborhood. And there's a supervisor that kind of floats. And they will Mm. come and find you to see how you're doing. 
So I was hiding from my supervisor and calling my mom and had no clue what I was going to do. Mommy help is what it came down to. And my mom is amazing. And her answer is always that, well, whatever it is, we'll figure it out. That's just how my mom has always been. So I got a blessing to quit my shitty job. I found a different one working overnight in a domestic violence shelter up in the, the wooded mountainy wilderness, which was a different kind of creep factor. Mm. And for some reason, laying in the hotel room watching Friends stands out. Because I think I knew it just wasn't happening. This was while you were working at the, d- the shelter? I can't remember if I had already quit canvassing yeah. or not. But those were the two jobs I had while I was there. And they both made me sad and lonely. Because mm. they were both super lonely. I was the only one awake um, in the ha- overnight house. I was just kind of the monitor all night. And then canvassing is so strangely lonely. Yeah. Please give me money. Constant denial. And this relationship that I had had not had a, a an accurate perspective on was also falling apart. Yeah. So it was just me, really. What am I going to do? And blessedly, again, to go back to relationships. Was it? I, the friends, what, what? Friends episode, was it that you realized, oh my God, this is how lonely I am? No, it was the, let me back up a little bit. Leaving my friends from college was the saddest. It was, it was a shit show in a Best Western parking lot. We'd all stayed up all night, you know, listening to music and sharing our stories. And then we literally got in our cars and drove to opposite coasts the next morning. And so it was the series finale of Friends when they're in the empty... Apartment. Uh, I could I could cry thinking about it now, and it was so long ago. Yeah, like, it was just one of the most emotional experiences I mean, I've ever had. Talk about a watershed! Like, I mean, I'm sure you're shedding water from your eyes, Aww. crying all night, and then you leave all your friends the next day. Yep. Like, so yeah. And I was so sheltered. I hadn't traveled. I hadn't. I had not had the opportunity to see and experience the things that I I wanted to and I needed to. Mm -hmm. And I failed at Portland, but I I blessedly got a call from someone who had graduated a year before me and had done an AmeriCorps program. So this, this woman I'd gone to school with, she called me and she had been on the team for a year. They were putting together the team for the next year. And, um, I don't care, let this be a free ad for AmeriCorps because it is the best decision I ever fucking made. They needed one more person. And she knew that I was interested in it because it was through um, what's now AIDS United. And so it's HIV testing and counseling and education. Mm -hmm. Totally up my alley. Um, And she and I had actually been involved and started the the, uh, GSA at my college together. And so she just knew that that was in my target zone. GSA, what's that? Like a gay straight alliance. Got it. Got it. And so she called me and she asked me, you know, do you want it? And (laughs) the one thing I had to wait on is, this is how good I was at making decisions at the time, is I had adopted a kitten while I was in Portland because I needed something to love, of course. And I had to wait for my new kitten to be spayed and for me to pick her up to drive home to Oklahoma. Right. And I remember picking up the kitten 
and packing everything I could in my car and just fucking I'm going home. I, I don't recommend this, but I sent an email from my Blackberry quitting my job <laughs> as I was driving out of town. Yeah. Or I think I was already out of town. I was already in like Montana. I'm like, oh yeah, I have a job. Bye. It was a nightmare. Oh gosh. Yeah. But AmeriCorps taught me that social work was even an option. I knew I wanted to help people. I already knew that's where I was. I already had this psych degree underneath me. But being a social worker is what I was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Psychology didn't fit me because it was my tight pants. Sure. I needed mm-hmm. the advocacy and the the humanity and the the God bless America, democracy, society, policy stuff mm-hmm. of social work. And I didn't know that then. But learning how we as a society have responded to the AIDS pandemic prior to the pandemic we have now. Right. Pushed me in this direction to give back not just to one person at a time, which I can do, but to give back to our humanity and our society as a whole. That's what I want to do. Yeah. What was that moment that you realized that AmeriCorps, like like I had described mine as like that uh, lightning bolt moment. Mm-hmm. What was that lightning bolt moment that you, when you realized this is where I belong? I don't know that I, I don't know that I got there because you're better at certainty than I am. You're a lot better at certainty than I am. Certainty is, I don't pick zero or a hundred on any scale ever. So to choose that is, is really big. Well, and I, I think that that's just like in the definition of watershed, like, you know, it, you know, it, uh, from looking back at it, you don't know it in the moment that much. Like I would say that my, my lightning bolt moment was in the moment as it was happening was more of justification and vindication that see, look at me. I belong here. How dare you kind of stuff. Um, but looking back at it, that's that is where my certainty comes into play. So I guess looking back at it, what's that moment? There are a couple of things. Because I'm finally, there was something personally that happened for me that just shoved me into a, into a much more comfortable, authentic place. But then, like through my, so during AmeriCorps, I applied to 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 my master's to KU. Um, on a kind of on a whim, like I, it was a, and I'm pretty sure this is my next step, but I don't think it's my next step right now. Mm-hmm. I'm going to apply. It's a really good program. I'm going to see what happens, but I, AmeriCorps, you can sign on for a second year if you want to. It's one year of service, but you can do up to two. Yeah. And I had intended to re-sign on for another year and be the lead that year. And I mean, this goes back to the center of my imposter syndrome. I, I didn't anticipate being accepted the first year that I applied. Um, but I was, and I decided to just go for it. I, I, if I'm in, I'm in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so 
I was moving again to a different place that I hadn't lived in, lived before and actually had the time for that to be successful. I just settled in. Yeah. But it resonated. Something resonated for you to feel settled in, to relax in, to where you... Because it's that fitness thing. You know, I went to my... I loved my my social work practice class. Yeah. And I loved my intro to psych class, but I loved Mm -hmm. my social work practice class. Mm -hmm. And there's a rightness to it because we're covering all these things that I felt like were missing from my psych education to give me the richness that I needed. And I always had that I'm sheltered and I don't see or understand other people well enough to actually tell them what to do. Yeah. And as I collected that, I, as I collected the experiences, <laughs> I shed away that sense of having any kind of authority over anyone else. Oh yeah. Which is the irony of that process. Right. right? But I also, so I joined AmeriCorps. I went home. I wallowed in the sense of, I had to go back to fucking Oklahoma and I didn't want to, but I had to embrace it. I had to embrace being in Oklahoma and making the best of it. And I built relationships with really incredible people. Yeah. And I got to go to Washington, D.C. for the first time. And as I had told you, my best friend, when we left college, she and her roommate had gone to New York. Right. Went to New York, yeah. So I had gone through all of this agony of my perceived failures and going home, and then I got to see my best friends. Yeah. And really, at that time of my life, I was 21. I needed them. When I say my best friend, I mean, she was my best friend from small town, elementary school Mm -hmm. best friend. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like me after I'd gone through that Portland process. Right. And so reconnecting, doing this AmeriCorps training that was meeting new people who actually kind of got it. And we were all learning about, yay, HIV. And reconnecting with the people who actually know me and see me and understand me. Yeah. At the same time was a a collision that I needed. Right. I mean, first off, I, I recognize the, my practice class of helping skills was when I got this like, this is right moment. Mm -hmm. And in your social work practice class, that's when you felt that this is right. Yeah. And it was a leap of faith to go to school again. I think we also have a similar experience of thinking we know the path that we're going to go down. And then finding that, it's not the right fit and feeling kind of stuck and feeling like you said it failure. I think looking back, I feel like I didn't, I was in denial. I didn't want to be in failure, but I knew the path I, I had chosen wasn't the right path. And so it was this mixture of like, okay, I got to keep searching and like, I still had faith that I would find the thing but it was always a sense of certainty that I'll eventually find it, but uncertainty of what it'll actually be. And that uncertainty was full of fear. Mm -hmm. And like, I just love the reconnection of you and your friends. And obviously the, I'm like 
thank God that you applied to KU because <laughs> you stayed in Kansas. Um, and I know I had I had big plans to apply in Buffalo and Madison that next year. I was going to have options, mm-hmm. but I was going to do one application, kind of see, I don't yeah. know, how it goes. Yeah. Here I am. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Love it. Oh, my god. I love it. It was a hangover. That was one of the moments. I had seen my friends. We were, we were tw- all 21. We went out in Washington, D.C. I was a good kid. I can tell you that that was the first worst hangover of my life. Mm. And I had to get up and go to HIV 101 training at 8 o'clock in the morning. And I remember sitting in that room feeling so horrible and sipping my water and still just being so fucking glad I was there. Yeah. (laughs) That I had the awareness then of, I feel really bad. I'm really glad I'm here. Yeah. That's something. That's huge. Yeah. That's yeah. huge. To be suffering in the moment and going, why did I do this? While also going. Because while we're picturing it, I can, I can see that little glass of water in front of mm-hmm. me. I can picture where I'm sitting in this huge room. Mm-hmm. And it's loud and it's bright. No. <sighs> <laughs> It's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know about you, but I would call that like a lightning bolt moment. Like, <laughs> it was, it to know, me. to know it, that your whole like body in my brain. Yeah, your whole body and your brain are saying, "Get the hell out of here!" But then there's like, go lay down, shut the blinds, like put a pillow over your head. Because that alarm going off, I was in, I was crashed in their hotel room which is down the block from my hotel room and doing the walk of shame and last night's tights back to my hotel at 6 a.m. to get ready and go. Fuck. Yeah. Let's do this. And knowing that this is the right place to be. Like, this is where I'm at. Yeah. That's awesome. That is awesome. And I'm doing it myself. Mm -hmm. The other thing that sticks out in all of this that I can't leave on the table is I think of myself as a pretty independent, introvert, solo operator in a lot of ways, especially if I'm talking about my professional and academic pathways. And so to reflect back on these turning points coming along with people, with guides, with mentors, with friends, with people who support is, I can't say that I I knew that, that I was going to be shouting out the people who bumped me along my path too. not what I thought I was going to talk about exactly. Oh, yeah? Like, yes and no. But as I was talking, I connected my own dots. Yeah. Yeah. Same Makes me want to call my best friend. <laughs> I think you should. I think I might. I she's pregnant. Should. I need to see how she's doing. Sure. Reach out to her. I'm so, so interested to know other people's stories and their, the, their pathway. Absolutely. Their pathway. And these are what we don't get to talk enough about. No, we don't. We really don't. And there's very personal 
very personal biased things that bring us here, but there's also very much um, an altruism of desire to just help other people. And I think it's really rich and really valuable for us to go through, you know, who are we, where do we come from? Um, And to realize also that we are our best resource. Of course. We're the ones who, who get it. The world needs us to be well because the world needs us as therapists. Like we need to be here, particularly in this time. Yeah. And it doesn't appear to be getting better. Yeah. We just, we need each other to get through this for sure. Thank you so much for listening in. Uh, It's been a pleasure sharing our stories with you. It's always a pleasure sharing our stories. If you want to get involved, we would love to have you find us on Instagram at beingthework, or you can email us at beingthework at gmail.com. We want to hear your stories. We want to connect with you. Thanks Thanks for joining us. For joining us. In in doing doing and being being the work. work. One more time. (laughs) (laughs) We're trying to do a thing here, guys. We're trying to do a thing. Bear with us. It's supposed to be cool. Thanks Thanks for for joining us. (laughs) In doing and being the The work. work. (laughs) We'll get better. I swear we'll get better. (laughs) Let's see if we can fuck this up every week. And let's not forget, everyone, that although we're licensed professional... Uh, wait. Uh, although that we're, <laughs> let's not forget, everyone, that even though we're licensed mental health practitioners, we over here on this podcast are just your hosts. This isn't treatment for you, and it's not a guidebook for your life. We really appreciate you joining us, though. If you need help. Please visit our show notes where you'll find resources for you or for a loved one for mental health treatment. It's always good to ask for help, and we always encourage you to do so. Bye, everyone. (laughs) Bye, everyone. Bye, folks. Bye, y'all.